This podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Black Acres Roastery. Black Acres Roastery is an artisan coffee roaster located in the Highlandtown district of Baltimore. Every roast, they strive to bring out the best qualities in unique coffees from around the world. They ethically source beans and curate roasting profiles that provide each cup of coffee a story. My favorite is Midnight Train, a dark roast with notes of cocoa nibs, grand cracker, and stone fruit. Delicious. Also, check out their cold brew. Temperatures are changing, so cold brew is going to be in effect. So stay woke and check out their website, www.blackacrescoffee.com. Tell them Rob Lee sent you. We're shaking cats and kittens. This is Rob Lee from Mastermind Team's Robcast. I am the Rob in Robcast, the Silver Linings Playboy, the American Wave, the Midnight Snack Rob Lee. Get it straight. For all of you guys out there listening, we do a podcast, me and my uh, silent partner here. Yep, Torn, you know. Uh-huh. Probably the cool one out of the group, but you know. I, I don't know. Is. I don't know if that's accurate. I have to be. Say, say more about this. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It's just like, get yourself over as the cool guy. I'm the cool guy. Look, Listen to my voice. That's it. You're as cool. Mm. Don't dis- you're you're don't, Kawhi Leonard. You're the Kawhi Leonard of this oh, podcast. Oh, shit. I'm a fun guy. I'm a cool guy. <laughs> so listen to us every week. We cover weird news, pop culture, entertainment. The cool guy, Torn, don't call me Tron, Tron, and me, Rob Lee, the King Snake, uh, the Thoughts of Doom, the man with... 101 aliases and we're on every week on mtr podcast and that is mtrthenetwork.com that is on apple spotify everywhere podcasts are found those gonna be mtr podcasts look for us on youtube and check us out on the instagram account and facebook both at mtr podcast check us out every tuesday new episodes are dropping subscribe today Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and my next guest is a Baltimore-based cultural producer, creative consultant, and polymath. We have Aaron Brown. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And the crowd goes wild. Exactly. I almost want that like 96 boil bowls oh. like theme. No, okay, okay. You definitely need the like he's on fire. Like three good tangents in a row. You gotta throw that out there. That would be fantastic. I, I like, I have this, um, this new device I need to learn how to use in the process of getting a new computer and I can load it with sound. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely going to be something that'll be integrated. Uh, yeah, that's, it's going to work for the comedy podcast a little bit better, but, um, so I gave that, I'm going to say 20. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I say 30. Sometimes I say 10. Mm-hmm. That 20,000 foot view of what you are doing yeah. with the, the titles and all. But let's talk about your work and describe what you do. Okay. So we, I love that we start with the hardest question to answer. Um, <laughs> so I'll run through each of them. So culture producer, what the hell does that mean? Uh, I think I find myself as somewhat of almost a, a cultural anthropologist. I feel myself as more of a scientist than an artist per se. But um, okay. I spend time observing um, integrating and like learning and appreciating various circles, communities, cultures, whatever you want to call that. And in return, I find narratives, I find stories, I find things that are of interest and I produce uh, things based on those findings or based on those revelations that come from time spent within various communities and various circles. That's what I would say is the, the cultural production piece. The, sure. the, uh, the creative producer, 
or the creative consultant, I should say, that's almost uh, respect to my academic background only because I didn't go to school for fine art. I didn't go to school for business. I didn't go to school for science. I went to school for, well, technically a science. I went to school for communication, specifically communication theory. So I was one of those kids that was going to be a mass comm, be an advertiser, be a marketing kid and realize the GPAs are way too high. The majors are way too screened and the fields are already kind of full of nepotism in a way that it doesn't behoove you to to start at the bottom you kind of have to hit the ground running with that sort of stuff and i had a phenomenal advisor that said aaron do you want to be in college for like another three years or do you want to get a track get a major that'll fit you and get out of here with like maybe a semester more under your belt because mind you i was a transfer student i did high school community college i'm a big proponent of community college and then i went to university But um, yeah, out of respect for just the science behind what I studied, <clears throat> I tell, I call myself a creative consultant because I do the business side or the marketing side of what fine art or just general creative creativity can be and then give it to those people that need it, be they businesses or artists to go in the direction that they're trying to go, knowing it's been at least rinsed through someone that understands their side and the side they're looking to uh, engage with. And then the polymath is all the other shit that I do. So that's the photographer, <laughs> that's the DJ, that's the event planner, that's the creative director, that's the producer, that's the the general public figure title that I yeah. didn't choose, that the algorithm gave me, and I just ran with. I just knew better than to change a good thing and just run with it. But that's the that's the thirty thousand foot view of what I would say that I'm doing. That that works. I, I would classify you as a tastemaker. <laughs> that's that's, that's what I kind of hit on. It's definitely in there. Yeah, um, and, and I think definitely taking advantage of what your academic background is and applying that to people who are in the space. Like going back far, far, far to like episode one when I had a conversation with James Nasty. Mm-hmm. He's like, "That's, that's a thing homie. that is he, He's a good dude. That's the thing that." It, that role isn't always available that people can just access it and then figure out what they're doing to, to ultimately get their shit straight, get their shit sorted, that it's meaningful outside of the creative pursuit, but it's meaningful of who they're trying to engage with and how they're trying to engage with them. Exactly. Like 100%. My, my background was in marketing before I got into this, but it was in marketing analysis because mm-hmm. the good old BS degree. And I was like, Oh yeah, let's do this. And it's funny when I talk to people about trying to market this podcast and market this network and this brand, I was like, I don't have any fucking idea. I can give you the analysis around it. But as far as reaching out to people, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking on that, actually, it kind of segues into that next question. Um, so with your work, what ideas, concerns, or objectives have motivated that? Like, where's that, that need coming from that you're like, okay, this is for me. Okay. So first and foremost, as someone that is not from Baltimore, like in general, like I come from PG, so I'm from, I know I'm from the other side of Maryland, but uh, I moved here and I just became engrossed and in love with the city. Cause I had a very, I call, I call it the designer experience. If I had the right people at the right time and the right era of the city to get involved in stuff early. But like my number one goal, I would have to say is like, I'm pushing for Baltimore just to be more recognized as a creative hub, maybe not a Mecca, yeah. but definitely a hub where it is going to cultivate uh, what is the next global creator class. I think beyond the local, beyond the national, it could create the next global um, creative class with enough of the right eyes on it. So that's my first goal, um, but it, or my first objective. But also yeah. like we spoke, I alluded to this earlier, 
I'm not to improve business acumen. I think that it is something that, especially for creatives, and I love creatives as you can have your creator, your fine artist, your entrepreneur, your small medium business owner, your influencer, what have you, like they're all effectively creatives and different in the core capacity. But each of them is missing, like you said, parts of the other side of the dialogue that would help them get where they need to go. So I do a majority for, you know, young artists in the visual arts and the music scene. That's my, those are my two buckets I spent time in, but it goes down to saying when I was in a position to have sponsorship dollars is, Hey, I want to work with you. I'm going to work with you and I'm going to walk you through how to do this so that the next time that you want to approach somebody or someone approaches you, you get what I'm going to give you. And it came down to like, here's the package. I'm going to tell you what the package is. I'm going to send you a contract. You're going to sign this contract. I'm going to, you're going to send me an invoice and you're going to send me these documents that are government documents because I have to keep it on the level. But in turn, I'm going to walk you through the steps because you're also my homie and I want you to succeed so that you can carry this knowledge on to the next thing you do. And in turn, the next person you work with. But then also, I just want to highlight that, I guess my third tenet would be, I'm here to highlight that creativity exists in more than just fine art, visual art, music, and the traditional um, circles that art is defined in. I think that, for example, public speaking, which covers podcasting and paneling, is in itself inherently creative. I think that there are people that cover the analytical side. They make numbers dance more than they can make people dance. So there's an inherent art to our creativity to all of this. And really it's a a level of mindfulness for both yourself and your passions and your craft and those in the circles that you're in to really highlight and push those to the, the farthest they can go by being just simply in the circle with those people at the time of. Uh, those are, I think those are my three tenants that I really, I would hang my various hats on. Various hats. We'll talk about hats later, probably. Yes, we will. Uh, <laughs> that's again, that's, that's great. Like it's, it's, it's missing all the time. And you just see like, my one of the things, and I want to hear your vantage point on this. One of the things that I've been playing around with is I don't know how successful someone from Baltimore would be because I haven't seen it for one, like super, like that, that high, high level. And I, I, I tried to answer the question. So, cause I started asking people early on who is the pop culture representative of Baltimore. And then I would even make it more focused. Who's the black pop culture representative of Baltimore. I don't know. I don't know. And I, I think people don't go as high here because we're, so authentic and in, in, in that space you have to be a certain degree of fake mm-hmm. to kind of move ahead and because of that non-bullshit Baltimore is looked at as a proving ground in some ways mm-hmm. in many ways mm-hmm. people will come here cut their teeth and then move on to another place mm-hmm. but someone that's coming from here that's why we celebrate them so much it's like yo that's the guy right there. that's the homie we know him but then it's like yeah and then they flamed out and back to Baltimore mm-hmm. It's in your experience in being here as a person that has has is trans has uh, has uh, came, has come here. How do you feel about that? So I feel torn because I represent both. I represent the community of people that come here not to cut their teeth or prove themselves, although that is definitely what happened in my my time in the in the various scenes. But um, I think that it's also I think that there is a. I won't say unity because people are united around some very key things that are important, but there is a, there's an opportunity to improve the consistency and the cohesion with which things get done. 
And that's just, and that's also just part of generally being more educated and or more experienced in what you're doing. There are some people that will learn that by failing multiple times. And there are people that will do the research on those failures, understand and unpack what happened. And they'll work in a tangential or I should say parallel, but not identical fashion. And they might get a little bit further. But um, I do think that also there's just a, there's a, a, a level of timeliness that we can't control. And I think that that's a big part of what quarantine, that's a big part of what, in what regard in a bittersweet way you want to say the Freddie Gray riots and everything that transpired post that there's a lot of things that just needed time to incubate and then thusly come to fruition that have Mm -hmm. changed the landscape. Now it's much easier for anybody from any part of the country or the world to have a platform. And there's always been quality talent here. The platform just had the playing field of the platform just hasn't always been as level. And now we've got people that have historically, you know, are getting on fade or people that have historically traveled to Europe and do those things. They're getting their, their second 15 minutes. They're getting their second dance in the sun almost. And it becomes almost like the, the, the renaissance that was asked about a decade ago is happening. In my opinion, I, when I got here in 2012, I told myself in 10 years, Baltimore's going to be Brooklyn. Like I just said it to myself because I had a feeling that was going to be the thing and I'm prone to make brash, you know, mental <laughs> leaps like this. And we're eight and a half years into my 10 year forecast and we're already yeah. Brooklyn. Brostradamus. Yeah. It, <laughs> but like there's but there's there's things there's patterns you can see and it does take mm-hmm. a certain type of person that kind of identifies those patterns and really remembers them and maybe that person wouldn't have been born here from the city maybe they had to come here or maybe that maybe someone does have that and they need to see it exist in a way to act on it i think that could also yeah, be a my, thing yeah yeah my i it was funny i tell a story on occasion where I was up in um, New Jersey with a lot of artist types that had connections to, to Brooklyn. My partner, she's she's from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. It was like all these theater people, all these people with this different musicians, all of this stuff, New York people, they're like, yeah. So um, Rob, since you're from Baltimore, I was like, shit, I got to defend Baltimore. And I'm down to do it, but I'm like, yeah, I'm outnumbered here. This, this is not going to go go right. This is like the movie Hero with Jet Li in it. Uh-huh. This is not going to go right for me. And she just chimed in. She was like, well, I'm the only one that was born in New York and it's going to be like Brooklyn. It actually is already becoming like Brooklyn. This is two years ago. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this is why I'm invested in it. And she was just on a rant. And she was just like, the food's better than this place. I was like, all right, points, points. And just going to bat for it. Mm-hmm. Some people see it and it, it's great when people are, are celebrating it. Now it's that thing of are we able to get some of those resources, that timeliness going back to that? Are some of those resources going to start popping up and be distributed in an equitable way Mm -hmm. where people that look like me, people that look like you, that might be getting it instead of being told that there's a a pie that has eight (laughs) slices, but five of those slices are already earmarked. Mm -hmm. They're already going to be distributed. Mm -hmm. So obviously what you're doing, you're around artists, you're around creative types. Um, and I'm glad that you associated us podcasters, us lowly podcasters and nah, creative top of the circle. table, top of the table, hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, so w- describe the importance of being in a company of artists. Mm-hmm. How's that been for you? <clears throat> so I, as someone who 
does artistic things, but does not consider himself inherently an artist. I tell people that I am, I am more a curator than I am an actual artist per se. Like I can take what exists and I can make it beautiful and I can present it in a way that is attractive, but I am merely the conduit for the things that I am around. I am merely a product of the circles I'm in. So to end waxing philosophic for a sec, um, I think that there is, but there is a, there is a strong benefit to operating amongst multiple circles and finding the, and getting to the truth and the art of their circles to, you know, self plugging again. I got you. But like, <laughs> but like, think about it. Like there's people that spend all their time around capitalists or that spend all the time around, you know, pharma people or spend all the time around, you know, you name those conversations become the dreaded echo chamber that doesn't ever escape itself. It's just constantly reverberating the same, you know, the same pieces. Now with that, I would say that um, you have an opportunity to be the dent in the echo chamber that forces the sound and forces the walls to reverberate differently because you are obtuse. You're not fitting in hundred percent. That's there. I'll end this analogy before it gets too extended. But like, I think that personally, the number of circles that I exist in are as wide as the number of neighborhoods in Baltimore city, which I believe is 128. If I'm not mistaken, wow. it's a random fact that I think may be true, but it's over 120 as far as I remember of like actual yeah. neighborhoods. And each of those is someone that's worth being, you know, involved in, but I'll, I'll, I'll dovetail it with this. My elevator pitch on how to get to the best things in Baltimore is, and especially with the art within the arts community is you got to find 10 of the right people. The right 10 people in Baltimore city will get you a thousand doors. We'll get you everything that you need, every place you want to go to every good recommendation, every place to avoid. It'll give you guidance and insight and wisdom. That being said, there are hundreds of those 10 people in the city. You just got to find 10. And usually if you find one, you get two or three of them that are over there. But those people that you're around give you access to what I think are the three most important, uh, most important uh, bits of capital that you'll need in the city, in any capacity, beyond Baltimore, even it'll get you access to it'll get you access to people which is what we always yeah. want. Get your foot in the door. You spin your tail. Somebody buys into it because they believe in it. You carry on that relationship. They'll get you access to resources. Maybe they can't pay you, but they'll give you all the goods you need to get what you need done, done. If that's a location, if that's permitting, if that's equipment, if that's day laborers, if that's you know video, photo, whatever is happening, giving you access to those uh, you know goods for services, so to speak. Yeah. And then the last thing everybody wants, you'll find the money. You spend time in the extra circles, you will find the money. And I say that as someone who was in in these circles, who in my stint as the brand manager for Natty Bo, I was a beer fairy. I gave away resources. I gave away finances. I had a budget for it and I gave it away. And I managed to stretch a very small budget across a calendar year doing a bunch of cool stuff. And then also I had access to a bunch of people. I had access to other brands that had money. People that didn't look like me, didn't look like you, didn't look like us that we're able to say, this person's got the right idea and this person says that this is the thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. You have my attention. That's the benefit of, of existing in all circles as you can possibly do and finding the art or finding the, con- the connecting thread amongst all of those circles to yourself. How do you honor working with Baltimore-based artists, creatives, while not being tied to that negative reputation that's associated with Baltimore? This is a great question. I was excited to see this one and I love, I would love to go into this. So 
I think that first and foremost, um, to preface all this, there's a ton of mindfulness around the intent behind what happens with a lot of the work and a lot of the things that I do with Baltimore and Baltimore-based artists. So one of those things is I constantly remind myself that I am a transplant within the city. So my perspective is inherently going to be not better and not worse, just different. And that is the way that I pitch every perspective I have is that whatever we're doing is to offer a different perspective on that which already has its own existing worth and merit and light that is being shown on it, be it good, bad, or indifferent. We're looking to change that with the work that we do. So that's the thing that I work with. And to give a brief example, to roll the clock back to 2013, when I first started going into the city, because I went to Towson, I'm from PG, I moved to, I actually moved to the last street in Baltimore City before Towson begins in the county. And so I've been living in the city the entire time. I've been paying city like tax the entire time I've lived there. No, Walker Avenue was the last street. Okay, I I'm, I'm Road, over there. In the, I was, the I'm over there, there from Govins. I know exactly where you are. Oh, I know exactly yeah. the exact area. I lived right over there the entire time I was an undergrad. <laughs> so I would live there and I would just take yeah. York Road to 29th to Maryland all the way down to the city, just get in the city and do whatever I'm doing. So yeah. for example, for before I became a photographer, I spent two years driving to the city and just going to the shows, going to the events, getting to know the people. Like, and this is like 2013, 2014. So it's like, you know, it's DDM, it's Jacob Marley. It's, you know, the crowns like originating class, so to speak, and the, the surrounding areas. So like, I got to meet these people when they were still themselves getting um, the mold for their artisan, their art, their artsmanship, uh, kind of, that's not a word, but uh, their artistry, I should say, uh, the mold was hardened. And I just wanted to get to know them. I would say, hey, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to give you anything. I don't want to take anything. I want to get to know the community because these are this is a place that I want to be invested in and you're someone that I'm around. So I would just ask really insightful questions about them and what they were doing. And I would predicate, I would predicate it on when I ask you how you're doing, I expect a genuine answer. I don't expect you to placate and just throw the question away. Like if I'm asking how you're doing, if I'm taking the effort to do that, I'm not wasting any energy on questions I don't want answers to. That's not the type of time that I'm on. So when I ask a question, even if it's a platitude, like, how are you doing? I would love to hear about how you're doing, about what you're doing that's got you feeling this way. And sure. that's been my thing for years. So when I did bring my camera back out after a five-year break from taking photos, I said, I don't want to take photos of the show. I want to take photos of you. I want to take photos of my friends. I want to take photos of the things my friends are doing and how that stuff makes them feel and how it shows on them. And being a six foot two, 215 pound man now, even when I was a little smaller, I was not a fly, I was not a small boy. I was not a small yeah, yeah. man. I was not a, I was getting fly on the wall shots through the access I had to my friends, not by being, oh, I'm this hotshot photographer, not to, not to knock people that are great photographers, but it yeah. was, I want to be a part of your narrative of your life. I want to be a person that's like, that's the homie. He took these pictures of me in this time. And then when they get there, you know, 30 for 30 or equivalent, like, yo, they can just say we had these dope ass pictures and I get to be a part of their narrative no matter where it goes. And yeah. then you do that for, you know, several years and you just continue to get to different circles and different sections. My last two jobs are from the, my last two like corporate salary jobs post my last job I really had in the like mid-level, mid-level work. I got because I knew people. It was the yeah. it was nepotism in a sense of not you're someone that's close to me. It's I know you and I know that you stand for good things and you're known for good yeah. work. I want to give you this opportunity. 
that's the kind of thing that I was given. And I want to be that conduit for people. And I want to give people the, the keys to get to that point on their own and in their own circles in whatever direction they're trying to go to. It's doing the good work there. Exactly. Um, Community focused. I've gotten, I've gotten some, some opportunities in that way. And I, I'm a six foot four, eh, 300 pound we're black big, man. We're big guys. We're big people. Yeah. Once you're past 180, you're a big dude. And, and people always think I'm short too, which mm-hmm. is hilarious. And they see me say, Oh, that's you. I was like, yeah, like, uh, how's oh. it going? <laughs> Pretty much. And you know, I, I try to do just something in that community space. Like uh, you being a person that's a big guy, but also freaking shy. It's just like, all right, let's figure out how can I endear myself? Because it's the same thing. It, as you were saying, I'm not asking questions just to ask them I actually am really invested. And in, I want to know, and people remark on the type of questions I may ask and hear because, or how the interviews generally go. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm interested. I'm not just like, Oh, this person's cloudy. Let me talk to him. I don't care. And, um, but I'll try to do these things, whether it be, Hey, I got an extra hundred dollars. Cool sponsor came through. Let me do the whole AMC thing. Let me get this whole theater. Let's watch Batman returns and let's have a good time. Mm-hmm. It's on me. Thank you for being a part of what I'm doing. And thank you for helping me get this podcast. Mm-hmm. I've always, you know, appreciate the interviews and being brought in as, as a visitor, because, you know, I think part of it is you're allowing someone to come into your space and what your your narrative is. So I see it from an audio perspective and what I'm doing. So I don't want to have to sit there and tell me about any of the cool stuff that they're doing. And I've had people reveal stuff on podcasts. So I was like, oh, I didn't know about that little habit or I didn't know you had that experience. And they realize afterwards, like, wow, I haven't talked about that in 20 years. So it's very it's a vulnerable thing. And um, I, I don't take it for granted. Uh, mm-hmm. So I read that storytelling is your thing. So what are some of the traits of good storytelling and how can someone sharpen that skill? Okay, so I definitely love to talk about this one. The tough thing to do with this is storytelling has become a buzzword. In the time in which I learned it academically, in the time in which I've practiced it as an artist of whatever capacity, creative or whatever capacity, and the time of this this interview, it has become the new, like, it's the new aesthetic. It's the new vibes. Like that's the new buzzword that's being thrown around. And storytelling is not a very pretty thing. And we're trying to make something that is inherently very uh, intentional, very cerebral. At times it can be very sinister if you're using the act of storytelling to spin, for example. It's part of why I chose not to pursue that in my GPA. I chose not to pursue mass comm. It was like, I spent all this time padding a GPA, lying to people that I was good enough to do this thing, which I was already able able to do, to then Mm -hmm. learn a very niche way to take communication theory and to spin it for the purpose of getting a point across in a very specific way for a very specific purpose, usually for pay. I've got a little bit more of a bleeding heart than that. And as everyone that knows me knows, I'm not motivated by money. So you can't pay me to do something because it'll make like, you can't put a dollar sign in front of it to make me entice, to entice me further. I'm big on saying no, I'll say no to everything. I'll, pa- I'll pass. I'll pass it to someone before I even say yes. It's like I'll I'll do it, but I want you to know if I can't, if I wind up not being able to do it, I'm going to find someone to get this done for you. Or no, this doesn't really jive with me, and I'm not going to you know support this thing. But like that's the thing. Like um, for storytelling though, to get to the main point, I think that um, one of my old bosses from my Apple days put it very succinctly, and I think that the biggest guiding principle for me for storytelling is getting to the why behind the what, like. Mm. 
What is it that is, is going to be engaging in the story? Okay, cool. We know what that is. That's on the board. We have that. Why the fuck is it engaging? Like what about it makes it worth your attention, your time, your emotional investment. So, and we're not talking, and we're talking about storytelling. That's not following the traditional intro rising climax falling Mm -hmm. end, or the traditional, like, like folktale of like journey to the West. Like those are the two best examples of storytelling as we see it. And they kind of get conflated with, Oh, well, how can I hawk something to somebody? And I think the good story just it simply evokes uh, it evokes an emotional response or or investment, depending on if that's your goal. But it evokes an emotional response by the audience. You get to choose what that is. You get to be surprised by what it is. But all good storytelling or most good storytelling to not generalize it uh, is predicated on evoking emotion. I think that's really where storytelling does its best. Um, And then in terms of to sharpen the skill aside from headbutting the wall of creativity and seeing when you eventually break through it until you hit the next wall. I am an avid YouTuber. I subscribe to YouTube university. (laughs) I don't watch Hulu. I don't really watch Netflix. I watch anime and I watch YouTube video essays. Like those are the two things you will find me watching nine times out of 10. And, but I've used it to supplement education. I missed like academics, like I've learned how to, uh, I've learned how to read art in museums. I've learned cinematography techniques and color grading theory and things that I use in my daily practices as a a creative, but also like I subscribe to stuff like, like people that analyze and and delineate basketball and like pop culture and automobiles and like things that I don't particularly care about, but I know that it's part of the larger cultural zeitgeist and it benefits me to know. So I take the time out of my day to learn about it. And I find people that are storytellers of things that I don't care about. And that's how I learn to care about them. That's probably my strongest thing. So I tell people like, if you don't have the bug or you have an idea, but you're not sure how to refine the idea to a point where you're comfortable acting on it, watch other people do it and learn. Or as Picasso would call it, steel i i I enjoy steel uh (laughs) and no that's 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 important like i i because my my day job i'm I'm a data analyst and you know one of the things i started Mm -hmm. applying to it and always adding to and always trying to get better at what i'm doing is start just asking those five whys just start getting down to the next level why is this happening but why is that happening Mm -hmm. and then you eventually get to it and sometimes it's so simple especially with people sometimes i'll listen Mm -hmm. to a story and it's like I'll smoke sniff with it because I do that. It's like mm-hmm. detail is missing. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. It feels, it like feels kind of hollow. It feels like there's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said that you're a, da- you're a creative with a day job because we'll talk about that later, I feel. But I definitely, yeah. we definitely wax about that. But I think the uh, one last thing that I just realized is like a personal um, anecdote that I've learned from part of good storytelling is having your own experiences to build from for your storytelling. So like I am a child of the suburbs of PG County. I was born in Silver Spring, but I'm also like a quintessential, like broken home black child. I come from a single parent household. Like my mom got married when I was 19. So I had to deal with a stepfather that I've known my whole life trying to be a father when I'm already kind of a mold of a person. And I'm like, yeah, there's, (laughs) there's, 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 Tread like the t- the tread is worn on the tires of my life story, and I like it right. that way because it means when I come to storytell, I can see a lot of perspectives, and therefore I can do better work because I can meet better needs. So, like the more things you do, the more comfort zones you exist 
outside of for yourself, the better your storytelling will be. That's my last point. There we go. That's great. That is because I'm stealing, you know, yes. stealing everything that you're saying. As you should. You're a, you're, you're a different version of website. Like, All right. Yeah. This is much more refined. I'll have a lot of F-bombs and, and dick jokes. So, yeah, cool. Because, <laughs> yeah, like I, I think definitely the the storytelling resonates with me the same way that I think when I try to talk, talk to people about art, I've had people reach out like, oh, you do an art podcast. How am I supposed to feel about art? It's like, what is this question? But do, do you feel something? That's where I start off at. Mm-hmm. And I think, does it, does it evoke something? It's the same thing with, with storytelling. And I, I look at some of the goofy stuff I do on my, my other show and we cover weird news and, and pop culture. Mm-hmm. And I, sometimes I, do a show if i was like doing a solo pod and just going it's like i get nothing i get nothing from it but having a co-host and i'm just on the internet all the time looking for these weird odd things mm-hmm. and i'll throw out a, a story or something he's like oh my god where where did this happen <laughs> and i was like yeah this is great this is working and then we kind of improv based mm-hmm. on that we were just running bits based off of that it's like here's a story riff on it for five minutes love it and People don't get it, but it's like, this is my version of why am I interested in this? Because this doesn't seem normal to me. Why doesn't it seem normal? Because people don't do this. <laughs> it's the Florida, it's the and, Florida man principle. Absolutely. And sometimes it's Germany, uh, <laughs> Germany or Florida. Um, so I read that you wear many hats figuratively and literally mm-hmm. what are your favorite hats in both of these kind of kind of spaces? I'm there. glad that you asked that because I actually wrote down my initial thought of like, I'm going to split this up between a physical uh-huh. hat and a figurative hat. So uh-huh. despite the fact that I'm wearing a hat, which I love this bucket hat, I love, I'd love this <laughs> profile bucket hat. It's been a move for me recently. I am going to grab specifically this blue Phoenix trucker hat. This is uh, this is one of my favorite hats, if not this is easily top three favorite hats, if not my number two favorite hat, I want to say um, yeah. reason why this is one of my favorite hats. It is my favorite color. I am a Pisces baby. I was born on March 5th. Blue is my color. Water is my signs. Blue is a, a color that has been wrapped around me for much of my life. Uh, think yeah. sky and water. So. I also, this is also one of my favorite hats because of some of the minor details. I got this hat during quarantine after I ended a five-year relationship. I got laid off from work. Quarantine happened and I had to relocate back to a different part of the city. So all those things happened all within a six-week period of themselves. And I just spent like an entire year. I spent an entire year during quarantine pretty much just like slumming it all of 2020 i slummed it and just lived off of savings that i had from various jobs that i pulled this was one yeah. of the first things i bought for myself when i got the when i got one of the the donny buck when i got the donny bucks to me donny yeah. was what got me some clothes and i bought this hat just because i liked it but also leather accent i love a leather strap on the back of the hat <clears throat> i do too and also it's a constructed trucker hat there's no mesh on the side it's all fabric all around i love this kind of trucker hat also, cool. it's it's shaped properly for those of us with larger heads. It fits properly. Get you a little point on the t- on the on the top as well. But lastly, it says Phoenix. I have a weird, just weird childhood story. My mother worked for a law firm in D.C. This law firm may or may not have worked on the Enron cases, and she was a trainer there. So she spent yeah. a lot of time training people on computers. <clears throat> they had an office in Arizona, in Phoenix specifically, and that was one of the first places outside of the East Coast I ever traveled to. Was Phoenix. Uh, I am in love with the high desert. That's that whole region. That's New Mexico, Nevada, Utah, and Arizona. Those four big states that nobody knows what to do with. That's the high mm-hmm. desert. Um, I have 
always loved it. It is possibly part of the heritage. Like I have a lot of North African Arab heritage, like just genetically. So maybe it's some kind of similarity just at a genetic level that I, that I love, but I love the dry heat. I love the sun. I love the earth tones that are everything. It's a very brown natural location. And it's also just like a place where you can get away from stuff. There's things to do and you can escape if you need, but I got a lot of love for Phoenix and the high desert. So that is one of my favorite hats in terms of figurative hats. I, <laughs> My serious answer is the creative the creative director slash producer because I'm a tech child at heart. I grew up in back of house. I grew up doing backstage work. That's where I've always felt at home. So it's where I find the most internal satisfaction. If I'm talking about the most fun hat to wear figuratively, it is 200% yeah. being a DJ. DJ is without a doubt the most fun hat. Specifically, I'm a black house DJ that's under the age of 35 in Baltimore playing house music for young people. House is is fire. I'm 36, uh, and it's one of those things. My partner is like, she's she's of that era. She's like, oh yeah, Jungle Brothers. Yeah, just this is the tunnel. We're like, oh, like what? Like, we're, we're like I, this is what I listened to in the 90s. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, all right. And she'll put me on, mm -hmm. and she's like, oh, you did a deep dive, didn't you? I was like, this is what I do. You give me just a little bit of space, and then suddenly, yeah, I'm into this. You give me a, it, I take a country mile. That's how it works. Yeah. That's the gopher yeah. lifestyle. And like, I, and like at 31, so I'm like, I did it. I, I didn't even start being DJ until someone asked me about it after I made a public Facebook status about it and didn't do it. Classic Pisces escapism. And someone asked me how it was going. I felt so bad. I went on Facebook Marketplace, found a controller and bought it within 48 hours. And then I spent three months for four hours a day, every day after work, learning and teaching myself how to DJ through YouTube. I'm dating a Pisces, and so I definitely. Oh. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's just really been this mantra of let's just do the thing, and I was like, I think this is for you, not for me, because I just ride the wave. I'm an Aquarius. I just ride the wave, <laughs> literally, and it's like I think this is to keep you on point, isn't it? Sometimes you need an accountability <laughs> partner as a Pisces. I digress. That's not Pisces slander. No. <laughs> <laughs> we're pulling. We're pulling. Yeah. Uh, so I had I had a few more questions uh, before we wrap up here. Uh, you touched on anime a second mm -hmm. ago. Um, so what else do you enjoy doing when you're not working on your creative pro practice? Oh, see, I'm one of those terrible people that finds a way to keep all of his creative passions at the like the barely professional stage where I get paid for them pretty much whenever I'm doing them. But yeah. I often do passion projects because I love doing those things and I want to give those to the people. But to answer your question properly, um, I, I too am getting back in the gym. I'm getting back into lifting after not being able to afford it for the last year because of quarantine. So now we are properly employed. I can actually, you know, do, I can do the pay for things. So I'll be getting back into regular weightlifting, not powerlifting, um, mostly as physical therapy, partially as you know mental emotional therapy because just working out gets keeps me at peace and gets the frustration out of me yeah. but um i'm also a bike rider like i ride a road bike i'm prone to be in the streets if you don't see me on a lime scooter going way too fast with headphones in you'll catch me on a bike going way too fast with headphones in uh that's, that's a great. big thing for me um and then also <laughs> i am also getting back into rollerblading like aggressive inline that's been a thing that I did ever since I was 16. I had oh, wow. a pretty nasty injury in 2015 that took my knee out for several years. And um, part of my lifting has been getting my body back into uh, fit enough shape to be able to handle 
skating again. So I've been like getting back into that. I've always been a fan of it. I've always been sharing and I've always been a part of the community, but um, I'm getting back into being like an actual participant in the community. Now that my body is at a point where I can actually skate without killing myself. I dig it. I yeah. dig it. That's, I do nothing. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, eh, I'm always in the middle of something either. Oh, where's that data at? Or uh, I gotta do a podcast real quick. I got to research for a podcast. Oh, or, we could talk about that all day. <laughs> the, uh, it's it's a thing. It's a thing. It's the corporate creative so, in us. It's the corporate creative. That's what it is. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm, this is one of the reasons I need to get a new computer. Cause it's like, yo, this was right now I'm working off of some Jerry rigged headless computer right now. Cause I too, it's just, don't have the extra funds at, at a time. And I was like, I kind of need one. I don't know how I'm going to sort this. And now it's gotten Honestly, to a point where it's, get you a Mac mini, get a Mac mini. It's all the guts of the iMac without the actual mm -hmm. price tag or the body. And you can plug everything you already have. And it's just, and that's your setup at that point. That's you can a good get it idea, for fairly cheap within the last couple of years too. That's a good idea. Uh, I got you. So that, that can, that combination of being that corporate creative speak about that a bit um of having the day job but also having that creative pursuit mm -hmm. and how, so I think how, we, how we try to yeah. balance them yeah so first and foremost the balance is never consistent i think that's a big piece is that you will have balance but it will not be consistent and it might not even be frequent so we got to kind of it's like <laughs> them's the breaks them's the breaks of what you got to do so we know that's what's going on um but I, uh, on top of being someone that is very passionate about advancement and protection and development of the artist and creative community, I also have a lifestyle that I want to live. I have a very particular lifestyle that I am not ashamed to admit that I want to live. Uh, it's not, it's not egregious by any means, but like I live by myself. I live in the middle of Mount Vernon in a one bedroom apartment with a side patio. And that's one of my only things I have to do. I paid off my car this year. While after getting nice. after unemployment, I paid off my car only six months after I planned on it. So that's money back in the bank. I only have my student loans and one credit card. So I've got fairly low debt, but like, I want to have, you know, fun clothes from Bauhaus in New York. And I want to be able to see an Instagram ad and be like, you know what? I want that $40 bucket hat that I saw on this Instagram. <laughs> ad. Yeah. I'm going to buy that $40 bucket hat. I want to like, you know, maybe I want to get some joy for my wrist or I want to, you know, get a different TV or change my couch out. Like I don't deny the, um, the the basic tendency i think if i personally like i'm the most one of the most basic creative arts type people that's ever out there i like looking at nice cars i don't care about owning them i like eating nice meals i won't always pay for them or be able to afford them i like wearing nice clothes but i'll buy them for cheap or i'll buy them secondhand but like yeah. that's my thing like i live a corporate lifestyle because i like to be able to not worry about keeping the lights on i like being able to know yeah. that i can plan to have my car paid off in a couple of years or that my student loan debt or my credit card debt will be able to be paid for and i can still have a decent place to go home at night but I'm also a bleeding heart creative that wants to do some of the coolest, dopest shit. But I'm like, I also can't afford to do cool, dope shit. I'm constantly stressed out thinking about how I'm going to get my lights, getting my lights to stay on or how I'm going to get food in my stomach. So I am an advocate for all creatives. It's not selling out and it's not shilling yourself to have a day job, to have a salary job, to have a thing that provides your lifestyle because the peace of mind that it gives you can only make your art better the timing might suck and the balancing of your time and scheduling is going to have to be a lot more intentional. Another buzzword sure. or the magic word. But if you're the person that can figure that out, which admittedly not everybody is, and I'm not afraid to say that those of us that find the balance get to have the best of both worlds in whatever capacity we can handle them. 
That's my thoughts on corporate creativity, on being a corporate creative and finding jobs that are being corporate creative because I get paid to be a creative project manager for a marketing firm in Boston now. I work remotely. I get to do the same thing I love doing, which is getting creative ideas out the door and into real life. But like I get paid to do that. And then I get paid to do it on my own time. Like, why can't I get the best of both worlds and work to get a lifestyle where I can get both and then bring everybody else to realize you can do it too. That's the thing. It's one of the things I always kind of admire the doing it on your own schedule on your own time. And I would look at like, I listen to a lot of stand-up comedy and I would listen to how they describe like, yeah, just kind of got up today. This is my job. I got up an hour ago and I'm going to talk to you guys for an hour and then I'm going to go home. <laughs> and it's like, I kind of admire that. I admire not being on a, a clock. And I will say this last year has enabled me to kind of be able to balance those things and do stuff that kind of moves that creative pursuit um, in a different direction and kind of just flex whatever hours I have. And it's like, okay, maybe I'll work four hours in the morning for my job. And then maybe I'll work four hours later in the day. And between those, I'll do a couple of interviews and not be stuck. I, I will find a way to make the time work better for me. And sometimes people just don't look at it like, like that. It's like, as long as I got my stuff done, that's all that really matters mm-hmm. at the end of the day and knowing what you're doing and knowing how you're going to do it. Um, and yeah, I, I even look at those sent- the sentiment of, knowing what you need, what are your base necessities? So like I, I bought a house, Mm -hmm. um, in my, um, where I grew up at and I bought it five years ago. So all the grants are now sorted out and pretty much that's the only debt I have. No student debt, Mm -hmm. none of that stuff. And I bought a two bedroom. I live alone. The second bedroom was converted into a studio. And it's just like, I don't need to go there. I know how to do all of my equipment. I know my stuff and Mm -hmm. I'm able to do my stuff. So when the place we were recording at, we were recording at big over there and, you know, mm-hmm. station North or what have you. Yep, yep, yep. And, you know, once that kind of like shut down and closed, I was like, Oh, I'm just going to get a green screen. And I'm going to do this and it will just be fine. It'll be sorted. Cause I have the space mm-hmm. and I have the know-how and I'm able to, to balance those two things. And it's, it's been good. It's been good. So <clears throat> the last question that I have this is this goes back to just advice, just mm-hmm. advice. Before we get to some shameless plugs, you already started your plugs. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what advice would you give someone looking to improve their brand or image? So I'm gonna I'm gonna double this with something else. So I think that there's, it's good to have a couple of of pillars to orbit your your image and your branding around. And I think that it's also nice to have, you know, a mantra or like something that you like something that you use to define how you go about your work. So to preface this, um, I've lived by this mantra since Oh five rest pretty much or so I have a tattoo to my arm, but um, it's the phrase, let the works I've done speak for me. Like that's the phrase that my, uh, my late grandmother on my mother's side, she, um, it was like, it was the quote that was on her, um, her pamphlet for her obituary for her, like for her funeral. That's like one of those those things that's burned in my mind. Like, I remember that quote. I remember the way that I felt about that. I remember like the way that we got to where we got to that point in the funeral. And I was just like, that's something that I could really see myself. Like it it embodied this um, unspoken thing about me that I always was abiding by, which is you don't have to care about what I say. You don't have to worry about how I say what I say or what I say. I can police myself. I can learn to be more articulate, but what you can't take away from me, because you can, you can spin whatever I say. 
you can't spin what I did if I did good work and it's undeniably good work. That is something that I think people pick up on. It's like, I don't care about having my name on it half the time. There's things that are in the city that are mainstays that I was around for the initial conversation of, I sparked the initial conversation of, or I was in the plans that got the thing off the ground. And I don't tell people about it because it doesn't matter. The work is what matters. That staple in the community is there now thriving. And I had a part of it. The work that I did speaks and that's what happens. But in terms of like advice, I've got a couple of things that that I think that I go back on. Uh, First off, aside from being mindful and intentional, I think just being honest and being open to the fact that you got to have a sense of humor. You're going to go through phases and eras of your brand and your image that are absolute dog shit. And they're going to be the best <laughs> ideas at the time. Before I was Brown About Town, I was L2P. Before I was L2P, I was this long ass Tumblr name that I pulled from Tumblr <laughs> called Letters to Philemon. Like it was a reference to the Bible, like the Bible book. And I had a whole thing written down and memorized of like how I articulated a random conversation I had in a church parking lot in my youth leader days. Cause yes, I was also a youth leader back in the day and how it just like <laughs> spun into this thing that became a, a lesson about like mindfulness, acceptance, tolerance, and in essence, forgiveness with people. And I was like, okay, cool. That's a cool thing, but it's really long winded and really edgy. And yeah. it eventually got shortened to L2P because it was easier to shorthand. And then my friend joked about, I used to take pictures of my, of my shoes everywhere that I would go. Like not even nice shoes, just me standing in places, geotagged at things I was doing. And he joked yeah. that my name, like I'm Brown about town because my last name was Brown and I'm fucking yeah. everywhere. That's how, that was my premise. <laughs> so I just, a couple years later, took it, ran it. Brown about town was taken, but Brown about town with an E was, t- was, was free. So I just adopted Brown About Town with an E. It's got a little pinky out on it. And I just said that that's my, that's my brand. I am known yeah. for being everywhere, being in very, being in several places and also being known for wherever I am is a place of interest or a place of substance or a place worth checking out. So it distilled itself over the iterations into something that is much less personally off-putting, but now I've got this whole hilarious and insightful narrative of how I got to this boiled down thing that really encapsulates me at my core. That's my big thing. But um, I also think that like, be a, t- be a team player in how you work with a star player mentality. Like that's a big part of it. It's like, I'm going to work with everybody because I want everybody to win. I want us all to eat and everyone's pockets to get full. That being yeah. said, I'm going to drag my nuts on you while I do it. Because I, I want everybody, and the thing is, I don't think that's a bad mentality to have because I want the best from everybody. Because I wouldn't have picked you if I didn't think you could do the best work possible for this shit. So it's like, like I expect, like expect, I'm gonna drag on you, not constantly, but my mentality is like I have to do the best work of all of us on this thing, and in turn, do the same for me. Expect me to do my best, and I'm gonna expect you to do your best, and in turn, we're gonna keep raising the bar, and shit's gonna get sweet. And I think, and like, that's one I put up since earlier, take a break. I take like a six month sabbatical from photography every couple of years, just to give myself time to like relax and take photos of like, I, like I want to take now It's why I shoot film more and digital less. I take my time. And then last two things, <clears throat> be present in your communities, not community, communities. Don't just lurk. Don't just pull up when the right person's there. Be present. Ask questions. Ruffle feathers. Be like, be a part of people and be divergent where you need to be. But like, be a voice inside your community. 
that way people know when you speak, like they'll at least pay attention and don't abuse that power, obviously, but like make yourself known as a voice. And then the last thing is, and this is a big, this is my, this is my number one critique for a lot of Baltimore that a lot of people do well, and more of us can be doing well. Mm -hmm. Act locally, think globally. I think that's a yeah. huge thing that we can do. Baltimore's already being viewed by a lot of places in the country and a lot of places in the world, but for a lot of things that are happening, which means we're already on the global stage, but let's mm -hmm. think about ourselves in a global capacity while we're operating in a local, a local fashion. I think that's really the best piece that I could say for the next level and the next groups of creatives that are going to come out, people that are going to brand and have images and carry the weight of the city on their shoulders, wherever they go. Like, remember that you represent Baltimore and don't ever forget that, but also think, how can I take Baltimore in its best, in its best self to the rest of the world? And I think that's the, that's some really solid advice to, to help someone improve their brand and image. Like if you, if you think about those and operate through those, people will look at you differently and you will have doors open that wouldn't normally open for people. And if they would open, they'll open quicker. That is, this is, this has been great. Um, I want to give you a chance to shamelessly, I mean, just make an ass out of yourself. <laughs> but thank you for dropping these jewels, but shamelessly plug, uh, where can you find you, your social media, all that yeah. stuff? No, it's brown, a brown about town, but also hit them with it. Let them know what's up, what, what we got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so most everybody knows me as Brown About Town with an E at the end. That's how you find me. It is Brown about, Brown about Town with an E at the end. Don't have to write that. Brownabouttown.com is the website that links to most everything I do. I also operate under the DJ moniker and event planner moniker Southpaw. That's with a V because I can't get rid of everything that's edgy. You got to have something that's edgy in your, in your repertoire. Um, my phone number is the same as it is since I was 13 years old. So if you find me on the internet, Take my number down, shoot me a text, shoot me a DM, ask me a question. I don't particularly care. I will answer it or find someone that can answer it for you. You can find me through searching for something, my DJ collective, Just Add Water, my nomadic pop-up DJ business with a lovely, phenomenal homie DJ son. You can find me doing anything and everything under the sun that can, anybody can find me at. And usually I'm just sharing everybody's stuff on the internet. If you want your stuff shared and it's of a caliber that I can work with it, send a link, put it to Brown About Town. I will look at it. I will share it. I will offer any insight that I can give to help you be the best person you can be. Cause I think I'm the shit and I want everyone else in Baltimore to think that they're the shit too and do work that lets everyone else know that Baltimore's the shit. That's my shameless plug. That was a fire shameless plug. Thank you so much. <laughs> so I'm gonna do my side off. Um, thanks again for coming on to the podcast. This has been this has been a treat. This is this has been a highlight of the day. You are you are the shit. Um so um for Aaron Brown, I am Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Mm -hmm.